When you're lost in the darkness, look for the pod. Specifically, the Prestige TV podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're breaking down every new episode of HBO's The Last of Us. On Sunday nights, grab your battery and join Van Lathan and Charles Holmes for an instant reaction to the latest episode. Then head back to the QZ on Tuesdays for a deep dive with Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin. From character arcs to video game adaptation choices, story themes to needle drops, we'll parse every inch of this cordyceps-coated universe. Watch out for mouth tendrils and follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Monday, February 6th. If you listen to this show, you know we're living through some pretty crazy times in television. Linear TV's dying, streaming is rising, but nobody quite knows whether that's a real business or not. Last week, we saw a particularly brutal casualty of the streaming wars. Showtime, a pay TV pioneer for 46 years, was effectively killed as a standalone TV network. It's a little confusing because it's not going away, but its owner, Paramount Global, has rebranded the network as Paramount Plus with Showtime. Just rolls off the tongue, right? And it will be programmed in part with shows from the Paramount Plus streaming service, and it will also offer the Showtime content in a premium tier. So Showtime is effectively a studio now, not a full-fledged network. But they needed to keep that name in part to satisfy the cable networks that have always carried the channel, and they have deals to carry the channel. The plans for the network are pretty wild. The executive in charge, Chris McCarthy, canceled a bunch of shows, and he's going to try to franchise the few hits that Showtime has. So he ordered a bunch of spinoffs and prequels of Dexter and Billions. Yes, they are doing trillions and millions, which sounds like an SNL parody, but is an actual real thing. It's the same strategy McCarthy employed with Yellowstone and the universe of Taylor Sheridan shows. Obviously, Yellowstone is the number one show on TV, and Dexter and Billions aren't. But that's the plan. And people in the industry are already eulogizing what was once an innovator in pay TV, home to shows like Weeds and Nurse Jackie, Shameless, and Homeland, which Paramount doesn't own, so they're going to do a knockoff show called The Bureau. Can't make this up. Showtime's always been kind of a secondary player to HBO in the pay TV game. During the heyday, they played up that rivalry, but they've kind of always had a symbiotic relationship for most of their existence. HBO was the bigger and more ambitious outlet, reaping billions in profits, and Showtime would often be sold by cable companies as an upsell or a free add-on, decidedly smaller business. That worked during the cable era, but once streaming came along, these services were sold digitally and a la carte. It was tough for Showtime to keep up, especially when Netflix, Amazon, and all the others started competing for talent in the best projects. Slowly, Showtime atrophied, until now, when it's being gutted, sucked into Paramount Plus, and mined for what little franchise IP it might have. 
But is this the smart business move? I've got Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg back today. He and I both wrote about this this past week, and we're going to get into it today. Is Showtime dead, or is this a rebirth, a new beginning? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. Lucas, uh, I know you are the world's biggest Bonnie Raitt fan. Congratulations on last night. Have you recovered from the sadness of Beyonce not winning? And also, how hungover are you on a scale of 1 to 10? (laughs) I created about 50 burner accounts on Twitter just to tweet about how awful it was that Beyonce lost. So that's going pretty well. Um, And no, I left the show. I did not go to a single after party. We had a nice dinner at the Palm and got home by about 10, 10, 15. I'm, I'm with you. I also did not go to any of the after parties. But I didn't go to the show either. So oh, I, well, I did go to the show. It was nice. It was, you know, good show. They Ben did a great job. I feel like uh, we'll talk about this in the call sheet after our, our showtime talk. Uh, but it was a fun show to watch. Uh, but we are not talking about the Grammys. We are talking about showtime today because, as we saw, there was some news last week. There was some news this morning. Showtime RIP, long live Paramount Plus with Showtime, one of the great corporate streaming service names of all time. And this morning, we saw the strategy. They're canceling a bunch of shows, canceling anything kind of remotely interesting or new, and they are just going full Yellowstone. One after another, we're going to get billions followed by trillions, followed by the prequel or the young people show millions, followed by gajillions. I have no idea what's next. Dexter prequels. Um, They don't own Homeland, so they're going a full knockoff mode doing something called the Bureau with Clooney. Uh, what's what's which going is somehow, on here? Which is somehow not, uh, which is okay, even though there's already an excellent show called the Bureau, which was a, a French spy show, one of the best TV shows the last five years. This is a remake, right? This it's is a, a remake of that. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to be sure. It had. I assume it they couldn't just rip it off. No, they can. Trust me. The new, the new Paramount Global, they will gladly rip it off and they will not do anything original. So what's going on here? Let's break this down because I think people are confused because Showtime is not going away. If you are a Showtime linear TV subscriber, you will still get your service. It will just be called Paramount Plus with Showtime. And some of the Paramount Plus shows will now appear on Showtime as filler and as promotion for the streaming service and as a way to appease these cable providers who have contracts that say you must provide us a channel with Showtime in the name. And that's the way they're doing this. They're going to milk this and then eventually it will go away probably. And eventually it will just be Paramount plus, but what what's going on here otherwise in the strategy? Well, look, you have written about this. I have written about this. Others have written about this. Showtime doesn't really serve a purpose for Paramount anymore. You know, they they created a new streaming service called Paramount Plus, formerly called CBS All Access. Showtime used to be part of CBS. And CBS at the time had those two services. Kind of Showtime was the online equivalent, basically the same thing as Showtime. They weren't doing originals for it. They just needed to have it online. It was like the HBO Go Now type situation. And then CBS All Access was the kind of the new streaming service. But as Paramount Plus, CBS, formerly CBS All Access, became more and more of a big deal, and they started putting energy behind it, 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 it ceased to make sense to have a service that was just for sort of premium dramas and comedies when you're making those already for Paramount+. Plus. So they should be collapsed together. And there are certain kind of legal and financial reasons why Paramount's just not going to do that yet. 
And so they're taking sort of this half measure where they they neuter a lot of what Showtime was doing and channel most of the energy towards Paramount Plus. The sad thing to me is just with the kind of these these IP universes, if you will, is it just feels like we've entered this period of of really chicken shit programming where <laughs> the executives will take, and this is not just at Paramount, by the way, just the executives are taking so many fewer risks because they have to stick with what's familiar or in like kind of the word of the moment, undeniable, where they know that there's a built-in audience for something. When if you look at a lot of the biggest hits, they came out of nowhere. They were risks. Showtime had Yellow Jackets, which is one of its only big new shows that wasn't undeniable. That wasn't like some amazing package. It was just a really good idea. Yellowstone, which is, as you noted, the model for a lot of this, that was a risk at the time. It wasn't, you know, Kevin Costner on a TV show, Tyler Sheridan didn't have the this huge you know, track record as a TV producer. That's how you get something new and fun and great. And we're not seeing a lot of that right now. No, it's a lot of milking this cow until the cow gives no more. And the question is, can you create universes out of library titles and has been shows like, no offense to Billions, you know, I, I, I like Billions, but it's probably seen its better days. And they are doing a spinoff in Miami, which maybe will be good, maybe will not be good. But then they're going to also do four other spinoffs and just call it variations on the name. And that's going to be something people tune into. Uh, I don't know if that's the same as creating spinoffs of the biggest show on television, which is what happened with Yellowstone. Um, and that is the Chris McCarthy strategy. This guy was brought in and there was a whole power struggle behind the scenes with David Nevins, who was the former head of Showtime and other stuff. And Chris McCarthy won based on the strength of the Yellowstone universe. Now translating that well, over... And, and his whole shtick, because prior to, to, to getting Paramount, he was overseeing MTV and VH1. And most of what Chris McCarthy was really good at was scheduling, rebooting, Old, older properties and, again, kind of sticking to things that had a pre-existing fan base because he was looking at the cable dial and he's like, our audience is not getting any younger. We're going to struggle to bring in people with something new, so let's give them more of what they already like. And you look at the channel for MTV right now, there are jokes about it online all the time. It's like ridiculousness is on 20 hours yeah. a day. Or like Jersey Shore, they go to Disney World together or whatever the new incarnation of Jersey Shore is. Yeah. Or The Challenge. I don't want to touch The Challenge, my favorite show. He's but, been effective. It's just, you know, sort of sad for Showtime. No, it's sad. They are getting the ridiculousness treatment at Showtime. And that's just the pay cable version of that because they're going to take these Paramount Plus shows and just repeat the shit out of them on Showtime to fill time and satisfy their carriage requirements, essentially, which is what has been happening on the other Paramount networks, the MTV's, VH1's, Comedy Central's, is they're doing the absolute base minimum to satisfy their requirements. And they have one or two new things and that are branded to the particular network. Like they're not canceling The Daily Show because people know that as a Comedy Central franchise. And you can't get rid of the cable. You can't get rid of Comedy Central as a network if there's a fan base for that one show. Same with South Park. But they're not doing anything of any note beyond the bare minimum. And they're just milking these franchises for what they have. And I just wonder if that isn't a short, short, short-term 
strategy rather than investing in the long-term health of this company and these brands? Or does it not matter? And Paramount Plus is where the investment is really going, and that's the only thing that matters. Well, a few things. So on the on the I want to go back to billions just because you like the show, I like the show, but the strength of that show was always the pairing of Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis, right? Uh, yes, the idea was good, but it's been an acting showcase where they just like put these two people in a room. I realize Damian Lewis is not on the show anymore, but they put these two people in a room. Yeah, they've survived they without just, him. They just fucking go at it. Yeah. Um, and so I'll be curious how they try to to really kind of create that chemistry with other sec with kind of hun- hundreds, thousands, millions, trillions, whatever, well, whatever. It's all how many based. I mean, you could make the argument that Yellowstone was Kevin Costner or the interplay between him and him and the daughter. And they managed to recreate it with 1883 and now 1923. So maybe that works. They get big stars. You get Stallone to do a Taylor Sheridan show and you promote the shit out of it on Yellowstone and people showed up. So there's a there is an ethos around that. The difference is is that Taylor Sheridan has proven himself to be wildly prolific and you could argue about the quality and whether it's come down now that he has like seven or eight shows, but he has proven to be a unicorn of sorts in the sense that he can just chug these shows out and people will like them and it will attract A-list talent. I'm not sure, no disrespect to the Dexter people uh, and and the Billions people, but we haven't yet seen whether that's going to be the case with them. And it's a huge bet to make on the future of a pretty uh, iconic property that they can do that. Yeah, I have to apologize. I think I referred to him as Tyler Sheridan earlier. For some Taylor reason, Taylor Sheridan. O- Jesus for some Christ. reason, I always mix those two those two names up. Um, He's just crazy enough to come after you, too. Yeah, he might. <laughs> to your to your question on Comedy Central, though, I feel like they sort of missed the window on taking the brands like Comedy Central and MTV and VH1 and extending them into the onto the internet. Like they had a moment, right? Oh, the, totally. The chat- and it was mismanaged. I mean, they, they you know this company has been floundering for two decades under its owner, Sumner Redstone, who was this, you know, geriatric dude in a hill. Two decades is a little long. (laughs) But you know what I mean? They were managing for margins. They were milking their quarterly results. We used to see it at the Paramount Movie Studio, where they would literally move movies out of the holiday season in order to put them in the next year so that the marketing costs would not go on to their budgets for that year, and they would all get huge bonuses. I mean, literally, that's what we saw when Viacom then was being run by Philippe Doman, who was Sumner Redstone's right-hand man, former lawyer, like, henchman. And the same was going on at CBS. I mean, Les Moonves was very good at creating the whole model for carriage fees and retrans fees and all of this that they got at CBS. Um, but I, even though they had CBS All Access, I wouldn't say that Les Moonves was thinking about bringing the Showtime brand into the digital era when he was running CBS. No, but I do, I I don't think they can bring those brands and do anything with those brands really anymore. I mean, I'd love to see them try, but I, I think it's too late. But the the programming ethos behind them should live on at Paramount Plus in some way. Like, why is there not more good comedy on Paramount Plus? Why right. do they not take some of, the, some of the things that underpin their networks? They still have BET Plus as a standalone streaming service. I'd can't imagine that's that long for this world. It's just a little bit complicated because of their contractual relationships with Tyler Perry. Um, and and they still have Noggin as a separate streaming service. And again, load up on kids behind Paramount Plus. But I'm curious, do you 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 as they starve these networks more, 
Um, what do you think will be the next TV network to be shut down or sort of like sort of killed as Showtime just was? Like when when Comcast NBC Universal decided to shut down NBC Sports Network because they were going to put their sports programming on USA. That's likely the next thing, right? That's going to be NBC Universal looking and saying, "Do we need uh like E or Bravo anymore?" Yeah, it's E gonna was going to be my choice. Yeah. Cuz Bravo at least has a franchise in Housewives and some of the other stuff that like has a very clearly defined brand and audience in the market. What is E really? Like award show pre-shows? Like we can watch that on the internet. I don't know. I, they, I, I I was never really an E viewer, other than I think they might have done some like Howard Stern reruns on TV when I was. They did. A kid. And they had Sex in the City reruns. And, you know, they they've done stuff. They they also had uh didn't the Kardashians debut on E? I believe so. So like they've done originals. I think it's always been right. on E. Okay. That was so, the, <laughs> but now that's no more. They could run reruns of that forever, I guess. But like when you start to talk about the value proposition of these cable networks, they at least have to have one big thing that they can sell to advertisers and to carriage providers, whether it's having the WWE on USA or having Housewives on Bravo or having a sports property on some of these other networks. Like they need to be able to make that argument and I just don't see the argument for E. I don't see the argument for Showtime, really. Um, I, I, I just got a text message from the other room that, yes, keeping up with the Kardashians was a staple <laughs> of the E calendar. <laughs> All right. Yes, thank you. Please do not. Please do not flame us with that. We should have known. But th- it gets to our point. Like, we cover this stuff professionally, and not even either, and neither of us remembered that. So Yeah, although that's some of that's a gendered thing, because the E, yes, e definitely catered more to women. Um, although I used to watch Joan Rivers when she did the red carpet. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but that would never happen these days because celebrities would never allow that to happen these days. So that's another problem for E. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What do you make of the kind of the the spin that Paramount is attempting around this transition? That it's a rebirth? That they're not really getting rid of Showtime, that this is just a rebirth. It's next incarnation. Uh, I am kind of calling bullshit on that. I mean, this this is the end of Showtime as a viable hub for this kind of avant garde, boundary pushing, uh, interesting programming. This is going to be milked, and this is going to be folded in to Paramount+. Plus. I just don't 
I don't see any other way around it. Um, they can announce 25 billions spinoffs and it's still billion spinoffs. It's not anything remotely new or interesting. Um, they do, they have a couple other shows in the hopper that are, that have not been canceled yet or, or scrapped. Um, they have a show from Steve Zalian that's in the works. They have a Shaka Zulu show that is being shot right now that are still on the calendar. Um, we'll see if that happens. Um, and honestly, I don't, I don't even know that it's, it's necessarily bad business. This is sort of the reality of the situation we're in. I mean, the stats that Showtime put out this past week was that just six series accounted for 77% of the content that led users to sign up for a Showtime subscription in 2022. Now, that's a little bit misleading because obviously we don't know what content actually causes people to sign up for a service. They use the first show that they watch when they sign up is what the industry thinks is the reason, but we don't know. And it also, it's, it's, it doesn't account for the fact that you can't just bring people in. They have to be satisfied with their experience with your service or else they will just churn out after a week or a month, as many people do with Showtime. So that's not really a harbor. That's not really a, a way to judge the health of these services. Do you agree there? It's just so lame that these companies have all this data that they don't share. You know, that's what I think when I hear that. Because look, you're right that there's no way that Showtime actually knows what leads someone to sign up, right? Like, none of these companies do. But they all make educated guesses, right? It's a, it's from, from Netflix on down, they all have suspicions as to what is it that got someone to sign up? What is it that's keeping them from churning? They, they base it on, you know, is it someone who only watches a couple shows? If so, that means that that one show that they like is more valuable because it keeps them going. Um, but they, they have all this stuff and they just, they just share almost none of it. So well, that's they cherry thing. pick. I mean, this yeah. stat sounds good in the Wall Street Journal, but we have no idea what it actually means. And the shows that they cited as being part of that group, like Yellow Jackets and Your Honor with Brian Cranston, okay, maybe. Like, I watched Yellow Jackets and I also watched Your Honor, but did you know that Your Honor recently dropped a second season? Brian Cranston starring in a pretty intense scripted drama. It's on Showtime and a second season just dropped. Did you know that? I, I didn't, and that's because what Showtime shows, at least in my world, other than Yellow Jackets, have landed with like a real oomph in the last couple of years. You know, bill, prior to that, it was billions, and I'm sure there's something in between. Um, yeah, they claim the Dexter reboot did very well. Which Yeah, which is sure. why they're now making a Dexter universe. Yeah, but good luck. Um, if you think Michael C. Hall wants to play Dexter for the rest of his life, I'm pretty sure he probably doesn't. And then they got to figure out what they're going to do. It's also super expensive to bring back guys like that. And they could do, you know, a Weeds reboot. They could do Californication. But, you know, at some point, there's diminishing returns on this stuff. But look, we're in a world now where... Oh, the Weeds is Lionsgate. Sorry. So they don't own that Yeah, one. A lot of these networks, AMC, Showtime, FX, that brought us sort of the quote-unquote golden age of TV don't really have a home as consumer-facing brands anymore, right? Like, they existed in a cable world where it was more niche. And now, in the streaming world, we tend to have these massive services that combine many different networks into one. And every company's gone about it differently, right? Like, the one that survived and is just fine, obviously, is, is, is HBO. But FX now exists primarily as a studio for Hulu, right? AMC Network branding. 
they also benefit. I mean, you go to Hulu and you see immediately that there is adult, more ambitious programming there because it is branded FX. And that's a but name that, that is I think people a know. super conscious effort on the part of John Landgraf, the head of FX. I think the 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 brand itself is not at the same level as an HBO, right? But they are no, it's trying not, but it does really mean hard. It, yeah. it does mean something. And that, I think, could be the future of Showtime. It's just that, you know, because the Showtime brand does mean something. It's a little less niche than FX, where you know it's going to be boundary pushing and something a little bit more ambitious. Showtime, yes, does have that branding, but they've also made a lot of garbage over the last decade. And you know, it so it it sort of waters that down. They've also tried to do more than FX has done. They've done documentaries, and you know, the documentary efforts are sort of B level. And then they've done, uh, you know, political shows. They've done sports. So it's it's a little bit less, but it's certainly meaningful. Like it makes sense that you yeah. would have a Showtime branding on the the Paramount service, just like Nat Geo yeah. and Pixar and Star Wars mean something on Disney Plus. Or CBS branding within Paramount Plus as well. These these, totally. these these names mean something at least to a certain subset of the population. But what you're saying and and what the overall macro trend here is is that these companies can't absolutely shut down their linear services. They still make money on these things, and they've just got to grind it out and drive them off the cliff, but still drive them while investing in the future and hoping that there will be a business there someday. Hoping. <laughs> the last thing, you, you've got your liquid death. I've got my coffee. We're just going to pour a little bit I'm not bit having out. liquid death. You're not drinking liquid death? I'm, I'm drinking Spindrift. I don't, I don't drink liquid death. Uh, what's Spindrift? It's really good flavored sparkling water. It's like better LaCroix. All right. Well, you can pour a little bit of that out. I will pour a little bit of my Pete's coffee out, and we'll have a little mini wake for showtime right now. RIP. I'm lighting my lighter. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, you watched the Grammys, didn't you? Yes. You did. Congratulations. You are the one person in their 20s who watched the Grammys. I made it through all three and a half hours of it. <laughs> you were doing other things, though. You were not paying attention. You were like, wait, what? Who is this person? Who is Bonnie Raitt? Or, excuse me? Uh, all right, three little observations from inside the show. First, there was total silence when Bonnie Raitt won. <laughs> People were like, what? Because I put up the nominees for song of the year so quickly that people didn't even like realize she was nominated and then she won. And people were just like looking around being like, what? Like no, no Harry Styles, no Lizzo. Uh, second, Madonna looked very weird and people in the auditorium in Staples were not really into her. The, her jokes were not landing. People did not really think she was a big deal. And third, Harry seemed really low energy, just like not, Either he's burned out from the tour or, you know, even during the commercials and stuff when he, he was just kind of sitting there, a lot of the others were roaming around and, you know, making, making, you know, catching up and stuff. He was just kind of like sitting there doing, not doing much. Even when Trevor Noah tried to joke around with him, he, he kind of just let it fall flat. He didn't really kind of play along. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he was embarrassed to be winning all these awards and taking him from Beyonce. I don't know. Also big night for Dodger hats. Bad Bunny wearing Bad Bunny, one. Yeah, yeah. Kendrick yeah. Lamar wearing one. So big winner, Dodger hats. Happy for them. They needed a win. 
Yeah. So, you know, listen, everyone's freaking out about Beyonce not winning album of the year. Totally justified. I, you know, I feel your pain, but it's not like Harry Styles didn't have a huge year. I mean, his album was actually bigger than Beyonce's and we haven't seen what her tour is going to sell, uh, sell out for, but, um, he had a pretty big tour as well. Maybe they didn't want to give her the award because she didn't respect the, the, the Grammys enough to show up on time. No, that was hilarious when she was uh, 45 minutes late for the show in which she broke the record. Uh, we had Ben Winston, the producer, in here last week. I'm sure he was crapping his pants when that was going on. Can you imagine if Beyonce wasn't there when she broke the record? Well, I wonder what was going on. Like, if she was in traffic, which I'm sure was a lie, but can they get, like, a police brigade to, like, clear the streets <laughs> for her to get to Staples? No, they need, like, a helicopter. They need someone to just go up to the hills and pick her up, bring her and drop her on the roof of uh, Crypto.com stadium. I could see them figuring that out for next year. Maybe Ben's planning yeah. on that now. Uh, all right, so my prediction... I thought Ben did a great job. When you don't have Beyonce, Adele, or Taylor Swift performing, even though they're all in the building, that's a tough hand. Um, and they did some great production numbers. The hip-hop thing was fantastic. The uh, Stevie Wonder performance with all those collaborators was great. And my prediction is that Ben Winston will produce the Oscars next year. I think the Oscars are really going to go after him. They have seen what he can do with the Grammys. Um, it's a really difficult show to put together the Grammys, but the Oscars has its own challenges. They've got to make something out of this show and make it something that people actually want to watch, irrespective of all the categories they put on the show. So that's my prediction. I think they uh, will go after Ben and Ben will do the Oscars. And the ratings we just got in are 12.4 million viewers on Linear, which is up 30% from last year, um, which is pretty good. Uh, although, obviously, pre-pandemic, these shows were much bigger. Uh, but they also are saying, CBS put out a release saying that the viewership on Paramount Plus was up 42% in live viewership, which is pretty good as well. And they got a ton of social impressions. So what Ben was talking about last week is correct. The Grammys, still a huge draw. Do you think the Oscars is the most prestigious live gig to kind of grab as a producer is that the kind of pinnacle of live tv production no weirdly it has not been because it should be because it's the highest rated award show but throughout its history the academy has done this dumb thing where they hire film producers they hire their own members to produce the oscars it goes all the way back to you know the origins of the show where they will lit, you know typically pair a movie producer, someone who has relationships with stars and, and, and other people in town with a seasoned director or someone who can get the logistics down. And that has clearly not worked. This year, they are bringing in a more professional team. Um, I believe uh, Kirshner is his name, who the guy who's producing the show this year. Um, I think Jesse Collins might be involved. I'm not sure. But they are at least getting the getting live television producers to produce the live television show, which sounds like a no-brainer. But it, it is a shock that it took the Academy this long. I think they can up their game with Ben and, um, and we'll see if they do it, but it's not a no brainer. Like they could go, they could decide. Remember the, the pandemic Oscars were produced by Steven Soderbergh, which ended up being a total disaster. Cause he was like screwing around with the format and did not, I mean, they had a tough hand because of COVID, but the whole thing was filmed on an iPhone. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally at a train station. And then Ben Winston comes along during COVID and does the Adele special at Griffith Observatory with this beautiful backdrop mm -hmm. and, you know, amazing production value and drone cameras and everything. And I'm like, watching that, I'm like, holy shit, why wasn't this the Oscars? They could have done it outside of Griffith Observatory and had a great show. Instead, it was in a train station with like 
you know, steady cams and people giving long tributes to actors that felt like out of an SNL parody. Uh, but that's my rant. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. Thank you.